Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Today in Space podcast. You can't see me, but I'm flailing my arms around because that's how I talk. This week's episode, this week's podcast, is brought to you by Amazon.com. You know, we all use online shopping now. It's awesome. You can find anything. Pretty much, you can go to a store and you're like, oh my God, they don't have it. Guess what? They will. Uh, I know I use Amazon for a lot of things, and basically, if you want to help support this podcast, all you got to do is go to the link that's on this episode's page or on the homepage at todayinspace.net. Click that, and you're all set. You don't have to do anything else. It costs you nothing, and Amazon kicks me back a little bit of it for sending you there. And it helps get a f- really cool stuff happening here, like new projects in the future, uh, upgrading the studio, different things like that. So... Please do that. That would be awesome. Uh, this week, we're going to have a few things. Do a little bit uh, about The Martian. Don't worry. Won't be spoiling too much, but you should go see it. It's friggin' amazing. And we're going to talk about some stuff with Mars. Just new stuff that's actually happening and being talked about today about getting us to Mars. So let's get into it, folks. Today in space. Woo! What's happening, everybody? I'm super excited. I got a great weekend coming up here. I'm going back down to the beautiful state of Pennsylvania. Uh, can't wait. I'm actually leaving pretty soon. So if it sounds a little rushed, I'm doing it last minute. <laughs> it is what it is. Um, what are we going to talk about this week? I guess to start, man, let's talk about job search. I mean, you know, if you're in college right now, and you haven't thought about an internship or, or anything like that, let me just say right off the bat, do an internship. Get as much experience as you can while you're in school. I know, I know, believe me. Me of all people understands enjoying yourself in college and experiencing that kind of lifestyle, whatever, man, that's, that's cool, but you need, you know, what, what, is, what are you going to college for? You're going to college to get a good paying job down the road to, to, to learn about this stuff, right? Especially if you're any, any kind of science field, right? So have your fun, but at the same time, go get yourself an internship. I actually talked to someone, um, <clears throat> I talked to someone this week who was, I was giving her a ride to a job uh, interview. And it was just, you know, it was funny. She, she was asking me about, you know, my experience, stuff like that. And it was interesting talking about the last three years, you know, how I was working full-time, was still in school, did all this stuff, and I could hear her, <laughs> and then telling her how, sorry, before I jump, I, I was telling her how then I got, you know, uh, then I had to leave, finish school, and all this stuff, and now I'm doing this job while I'm trying to find another job, and she, I could just feel her, <laughs> her anxiety, and I'm like, listen, I was like, I'm really sorry. Like, I didn't mean, she's like, no, no, it's okay. Like, I'd, I'd rather know that because, you know, that's what I've heard is that getting jobs are not easy. And that's what everyone says. Getting jobs are not easy, blah, blah, blah. No, they're not. But it, it is what it is. You know, we can't get too caught up in that. 
You know, first I've been looking, it's basically a part-time job looking for jobs. Um, it takes so long. So, so this is kind of some advice for anybody who hasn't yet started looking for jobs or had an internship and got the first job and you might be considering applying to another job. So we're just going to go through these real quick, all right? Right off the bat, if, <laughs> if you're in school and you're going to graduate and you know, uh, start applying now. Do it here or there, you know, if you find a job you like, just apply to it. It's not that big a deal. You know, you're not making a commitment, you know, you, have, you still have to get the interview, and then if, even if you get the interview, you still, they still have to want to bring you on. So it's not this life-ending, you know, it's that early 20s, oh my God, if I make one decision, my entire life is over. No, take a breather. Take a breather, you'll be okay. Um, another big thing that you probably won't be ready for is not hearing back from any of those companies. <laughs> it's, it, it, I've, I've read a lot about this online too, and I'm experiencing myself. Like, it just doesn't happen. Like, you're, it's a numbers game, right? Personally, I have an Excel sheet that I keep track of everything, so I know when I sent it, how long it's been, who I sent it to, if I get anything back from someone, which is rare, I'll put it in. I know who, someone from that company now that works there. Different stuff like that to help. But, and it's not because they're, they're trying to fuck with you or anything. It's just, you never know what this, you never, this is the most important thing. You never know what a company is looking for or the situation that they're going through. So one of the big challenges I'm facing right now is I haven't seen too many entry-level jobs, right? Which is people right out of college, right? There's not too many entry-level engineering jobs, especially in the direction that I'm going to for the next 10 years. That, that's my plan, right? Really isn't much, especially out in Massachusetts. Now, I'm not just an entry-level. I also have a few years of great experience inside a company where I did things it would take someone else at another company years to do. Great experience, but the problem is it's too much for an entry-level job, and it's not enough for the next level, which apparently, if you know more than this, please email me, and I'll correct this, but from what I can tell, it's entry-level, or you need 10 years of experience, five to 10 years of experience, with a master's degree or a PhD. That's really all that's out there. So my thing is you never know and it's something I've been told and I've been stubborn about, but I'm finally, finally turning this franchise around. Um, you just don't know what a company's looking for, so you just apply. E even if you're not 100% qualified, even if you're not, you don't even think you'd get it. If it's something you're passionate about and you have some experience and you're willing to take on that responsibility that the job description has, apply for it. Apply for it. Because you're not going to hear back from most of these places anyways, right? So just get that off your back, right? And who knows? Maybe maybe that's what they were looking for. Maybe someone was just like, there, there's a new recruiter and they just needed something in there. This is what we had last time. This is the, these are the qualifications of the persons we had last time. Maybe that's all it is. You never know. So go for it. Go for all that stuff. I mean, I went, let's see. It's about a month and a half now of searching. Really didn't hear anything. And then just right when I fell, fell at my lowest, boom, the next day, 
got two emails, two calls. So you never know what's going to happen. Now, you know, let's, we'll see how they go. Uh, I'll keep you guys updated here on that. But <clears throat> it is what it is. It, it's, it's job search, you know. Uh, it's, it's, it's do it while you're still working. That's, <laughs> that, that was what I would say is the easiest thing because uh, although I have no regrets taking the summer off, I'm definitely feeling uh, <laughs> the repercussions of doing that. But again, no regrets. No regrets here. Um, another thing I found out this week is there's, there's job search fraud. Can you believe that? This job search fraud. People are actually pretending to be other companies and trying to get your information. Now, if you're, if you're any, what, any little bit intelligent online, you know not to give your information. Like your birthday, your social security number, all the important stuff. Don't pay them for anything, right? Like, it's simple stuff like that, but um, I've also heard of other ones that are a little more, you know, it's like, it's tapping into, you know, something that, that's, it's fear most of the time. It's fear, anxiety, you know, with the jobs, I'm sure it's more anxiety than it is fear. Um, you know, and the, the, the chance to hop on an opportunity that you haven't had. You know, if you just get this one person who's really trying to, they're like, oh, wow, they're really working hard for me. Well, they're really working hard because they want your information. Oh, okay. Uh, I, I hope this makes sense. Uh, basically, I wanted to throw it out there that if you're new to the job search, realize it is out there. People are trying to steal your identity while you're looking for jobs. Um, I mean, my favorite is is getting the call from mom. You know, oh, this person, uh, you know, wanted to know if, uh, you know, wanted my password for the computer. Don't give them the password. Don't do it. Simple stuff like that. But I guess they do it for jobs too. So not only is it hard to find jobs, it's they're also trying to take your your money and your identity. And they'll probably get back to you sooner than someone at HR will. Unfortunately, that's just the reality of the world. That's that's how the world is today. So be prepared for it. I'm telling you this not to make you freak out, but so that you know. And that's it. <laughs> I'm not going to do more anymore on that. Stay positive through the whole thing. Do not let the fact that you don't get any responses back get you down. Just realize it's a reality. Okay, next. Let's talk about The Martian. All right. The film based on the Andy Wire book. All right. Matt Damon totally, totally, totally is a fantastic actor. I mean, from the fact that, I mean, besides the fact that I can't speak, the fact that he can go from, all right, here's a spoiler alert, Interstellar, cover your ears for seconds here. Matt Damon Interstellar was such a freaking asshole and a coward, and then to go the complete opposite to the character of Mark, Mark Watney is, is just so incredible. I mean, he was friggin' amazing. The, the movie was beautiful. I mean, the fact that you can see Mars like that, and it looks like they took real images, and of course, um, they, you know, they pumped them up with some extra effects and all that stuff. It, it, it looked like he was literally on Mars, man. It, it was, 
unbelievable. And the whole, without saying any more, if you like space in any, any facet, if you even just like space, right? If you're, if you're listening to this, you probably love it. You're going to love this movie. I mean, better than Gravity. And I've talked a lot about Gravity. I think it's even, I think it's better than Interstellar. And Interstellar's amazing, too. Um, it was a solid story. It, it had, you just, you were in it for the entire movie. And I mean, I feel the same about Interstellar, but I feel like The Martian was the right length where you got your bang for your buck, you got the story. It was incredible, it looked incredible. Didn't look, I, I, there really wasn't one scene where I looked and I was like, that looked fake. No, really, did not one. It was incredible. And you have to go see it. I would highly recommend go find one of those theaters that have, didn't even know these existed, they have leather chairs, right? Like Lazy Boys, right? Just in the whole aisle. And they recline. So you literally could watch this movie in, in a recline, in the darkness. Like you could even lift the seat, the, the, the hand rest between you in case you and your date want to get a little bit closer, you know? Um, that way if uh, one of you gets terrified at movies, the, you know, it's real close, they can grab onto you. That's always fun. Uh, <laughs> Uh, it was awesome. Go find one of those theaters, man. I, I can't believe it. I, I like going to the theater and, and having a recline like that in such a comfortable sofa makes paying the $15 for the movie worth it. At least a little more worth it. But <laughs> go see The Martian if you haven't seen it already. It's freaking amazing. And I mean, that's kind of where this whole week has been Mars. All Mars, um, and there's been a ton of stuff, like actually the week before, I talked about it in the last episode, um, the Planetary Society put out a paper um, that outlines their plan, because basically what, what they're thinking is, is where we are right now, and our plan to go to Mars is nice that we have one, but we're not setting ourselves up for a guaranteed success that we can do it. You know, the, the, the money isn't set the way things are that every so many years you have to renegotiate every time and there's just not enough money to build all the things that you need to get to Mars in time. So they're proposing something to get us to Mars sooner, to get humans to Mars sooner, that doesn't require the the massive amount of money that really it, it, it does to land on Mars. So their proposition is called orbit first. Essentially, put humans in orbit around Mars first. And then everything we learn from that can then help us land on Mars. Pretty cool, right? I, th I think it's smart as hell. I, I, think, I think the whole idea makes so much sense. Orbiting people around Mars and getting them for that 20-something month, you know, nine months there, nine months back, and whatever we spend in the middle, right? That's 18 right there for travel. So you're going to spend three months there, maybe? You know, so orbiting makes a lot of sense. Um, 
not only scientifically, but it makes a lot of sense financially because in order for us to orbit Mars, there's a lot of things we already have that we can do today. You know, the stuff we're doing in the ISS, huge. The fact that we're growing food, the space lettuce, huge. Um, that we can feed these, these astronauts, maybe cosmonauts, who knows, whoever will be involved. Um, so we can feed them on their journey because we can't just bring supplies. You know, they're gonna need, they're gonna need something sustainable. Uh, and one of the things, not to gross you out, but uh, one of the things that's really, and I gotta look more into this, that's a really good option, that it's low payload when you launch, but will give you a good sustainable food source, is having a bug colony. A colony of insects that you can grow and consume and give you the protein and the nutrients that you need. I know it sounds crazy, but insects can repopulate very well. We all know that you get a fruit fly, all of a sudden you have an entire thing of fruit flies, right? I mean, this is extremely general. So if there's any uh, insect specialists out there, I apologize. I haven't done really done the research yet, but uh, just the idea of that, just that's a, that's a completely new, like that, that cuts through what a lot of people can tolerate who, who are on Earth, who are not even close to being considered astronauts, right? Like, already in the space station, if you're going to be an astronaut, you're going to be drinking your own recycled piss. It's a reality. How else are you going to reclaim that much water? You're, going to, you're, <laughs> you're, you're recirculating your own piss. So I guarantee they're going to be doing that when they get to Mars. So why not bring bugs into the picture? I mean, if they can, if they can grow these insects so that, so that they can be a, a sustainable food source, along with the other things, I'm sure it won't be just bugs for dinner, but <laughs> that, like, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and the, the paper's really interesting. Um, it, it's, it's really what it is, it's, it's a culmination of ideas to help solve the issue of NASA's, NASA's budget and dealing with the fact that, number one, we're not gonna have an era like we did with, with JFK, with Kennedy. It's not gonna come again. We're not gonna have this boost, and I think it's right. We're not gonna have this boost in spending like we did Cold War, right? It's, it's not gonna be this, this huge funding burst where it's, it's we're able to do all the things that we want to do, and the focus is there, and the money is there. It just won't happen again. Uh, you know, I mean, granted, what everyone says, you know, once another country goes to the moon, uh, tries to put a, a base on the moon, we'll be there. Yeah, but a lot of things would have to happen. Like, the reason it was such... When, when NASA first started, and I, I don't have it in front of me, but space travel and, and the space race was a, a matter of national security. So it was appropriated the money necessary of a national security issue, right? So when you think about it, back then they were worried that once someone got to the moon, then you have an orbiting base. Right? You, you don't even have to really, you just drop it. You know, you time it right, you drop it, 
You don't even, yeah, you just drop something on somebody. You, you have the high ground for eternity if you're on the moon. Because once you get there, they're going to try and prevent you from getting there. You know, so it's this just insane idea of, oh my God, the whole game has changed. So at the time, NASA was receiving money to get to the moon because it was a national security issue. And what I thought was probably the most interesting thing I was reading this week was that in the Nixon era, and I gotta do some more research, but the paper points to one of his speeches where apparently this is the crux of where the whole movement of NASA, the whole movement of the space program changed, where we started moving away from the moon and started doing the shuttle, which, you know, has probably the most prestige still of the space program. It's what most people talk about still, right? And it moved us away from exploring planets to going into orbit around our own planet. You know, it was the fundamental shift. And let me, and that I think is what they were really harping on in this, that that's where NASA is today. So we need to approach it like that. We can't just say, oh, you know, you know, back, back with JFK, it just is not going to happen anymore. And I, I want to read this because I, I want to get the entire speech, but this quote really hit me in, in the understanding of it from Richard Nixon, President Nixon. So the quote goes, We must think of space activities as part of a continuing process and not as a series of separate leaps, each requiring a massive concentration of energy. Space expenditures must take their proper place with a rigorous system of national priorities. Oh boy. What we do in space from here on in must become a normal and regular part of our national life and must therefore be planned in conjunction with all of the other undertakings which are important to us. And that was from Richard Nixon's statement about the future of the United States space program, March 7th, 1970. So that's 45 years ago, right? So, you, you know, I, I, this is my opinion of that quote and definitely how I said it, too. It, it, it's interesting because when you first, the first part of that, and I'm sure this isn't the entire quote, but just saying we must, when it, <laughs> this, is, this is the part that gets me. Space expenditures must take their proper place. Oh, boy. Whenever, <laughs> whenever that gets said... You just know it's like, oh, we're getting screwed. Uh, but, it, you know, whatever. Did we know back then that was going to be the thing? No. No. And, and so what the paper brings up and, and goes over is that since then, that became the precedent. And that precedent has followed through every president since. Every single president has kept, has brought... It down from a national security level where it was getting the funding that you could argue it needed to progress down to this level where it's, you know, 0.5% of, well, let me check this number because I, 
what actually is the 0.5%? It's a good question. I am uh, I'm going to answer that in just a second. Okay, all right, found the number because it is important to clarify what I'm talking about. NASA currently receives approximately 0.5% of all U.S. government expenditures. So that's that number, and that's that's the current one. You know, before it was uh, <laughs> there were massive spendings, and you just you couldn't spend that kind of money consistently. I'm not I'm not advocating um, that we do spend close to 20 percent of non-defense discretionary outlays, as it says in the paper, like we did in 1964 or five. You know. Not saying that, um, but I do agree with the approach that planetary society is taking, that we need to approach this now before it becomes an issue, before we're all screaming at the gate because the flood is coming, you know? It's a, it's a metaphor, it's not reality. Uh, <laughs> basically, we don't wanna be yelling and screaming when the problem is already here, we wanna fix the problem before we get there, and the problem is that with the way NASA's budget is, which is a flat budget, we're not going to plan for some president or whatever, or the national, you know, for the people of America to finally say, oh, let's add more. Can't hope for that. That's ludicrous. So there's got to be a plan, and there's got to be a, a budget that's involved. I like the idea that they're taking it is that, all right, let's secure ourselves to get to Mars, because people want to get there. We have the support now with the public, and now's the time to, to, to say, okay, let's get the scientific community involved. Everyone from top-level scientists down to space enthusiasts. Let's get everybody involved, start talking about it, like we're doing with this show. Plan out, say, all right, by the 2030s, we're gonna be sending humans to orbit Mars, right? holy crap, then maybe we'll make the 2040-something period of landing on Mars by just shooting for this really hard thing, which is landing humans on Mars and then bringing them back. If we aim for that one thing and focus all of our efforts, it's going to be really, really fucking hard to do that. So let's change it up and do things that are more reasonable, just as difficult. And they're done with things that we can that we have today. We, you know, we're not planning for the future of advancements. We're, you know, a lot of the problems with going to Mars right now are that, that we have the technology now, but it's it's just being worked on. It needs five to ten years to mature. And, and to test through and to, you know, and all this paper is great if you read it. This paper is fantastic. It's very readable. They did a really good job with it. And so we can't just bank on the fact that these timelines are going to be right and that things aren't going to be more expensive or that, that things aren't going to come up that make the journey tougher. So let's plan out a path to get there. And one of the big things is instead of aiming for landing on Mars first, let's aim to orbit Mars, to check out the moons, to check out, I mean, we already, we've already seen that just with an orbiting satellite, 
we can detect the presence of water on Mars that's there today by beaming light at it, right? If we can do that crazy kind of stuff now with just a satellite, imagine the amount of work we can get done in three years, three months, orbiting Mars with astronauts on board, doing the same level of work they're doing on the International Space Station, which is doing wonderful science, but it's not gonna last forever. And eventually NASA is gonna pull away from that and aim for Mars. So now we've got this wonderful private industry in America, space industry, that's booming. We've got SpaceX, Blue Origins, Virgin Galactic, and so many others that we don't even talk about on the show that are working to get us not only to launch astronauts from our own soil again, but to get us to Mars. That is really what, what the, the dream, the, the passion is right now. You know, SpaceX talks about it all the time, about that their mission is to go to Mars. The, the Falcon Heavy, when it finally launches and we finally get that thing going, that rocket is what's going to help bring down the price of getting to Mars. That's, that's one of the big things with this going to Mars thing, man. It's all about money. And these private companies that are innovating and, and driving the development and pushing it farther than NASA can on a very stretched, thin budget. There's no better time than now to get this stuff going. And, and I think that's where the Planetary Society is coming from. That we need to capitalize on where we are today as humanity. That this passion is there today. So let's make a plan with the scientific community as a whole. Get everybody's ideas, pull them together, and come up with a plan to actually get us there. And not just plan, like even now, re even though there's a plan, there's, there's no talk of how much it's gonna cost, mainly because, I'll be honest, it's like anything else you see today, right? You can't just say this is it because you're gonna get roasted for it. So the, you have to play the peekaboo game. You have to say, all right, yeah, we're planning, but it's gonna take a while for us to come up with the budget numbers because God help them if they say something that, that is even a little bit off, right? So like I, I, I get where some, some of the space enthusiasts come from, which is, oh, you know, NASA's not releasing, you know, the, the money, but you know, how much is gonna cost? It's like, why would they? It's, it's 30 years away. You know, it's 30 years away, and you know you're the same person that's going to harp on it if it's not what you think it's going to be. Or, or if it's even just, if it's even speculating, you're going to be up their ass about it. So take a chill pill. We've all got you, man. We've got your back. You don't have to be over the top with this as much. The scientific community and, and people, people want to go to Mars. I really do believe that. Planetary Society is, is providing this paper, which is beautiful. It'll be in this link. Read it. I'm going to do more about it in the coming weeks here. I'll do a few segments the more I read about it. But just fascinating stuff, man. It really is. There's so much. I mean, there's so much I'm learning about just the whole history of the space program. Like, the, the crux of Nixon is very much like the day that 
Doc Brown and Marty McFly went back in back in time. It's the crux of the the path, the future path of NASA. It, that's where we decided to change it. So I'm gonna do more research and figure out if that's really what it is. But that's what it's seeming is that that changing point was a big, big change in just the whole way that it was thought of from these these two kids in college accidentally making rocket fuel and then getting money to start a rocket program, which eventually became NASA, from what I remember, to touching people on the moon and having the Apollo program and having every person paying attention to, you know, what we have now, which is not a bad thing. We, we, we hit some troubles in the 90s and the 2000s with approaching space the right way, getting to Mars the right way. We failed <laughs> spectacularly a lot. And we've gone through this before in one of the, the older episodes. But we, we have a program that's very good right now. And, and unfortunately, if we don't change what we're doing right now, like we're already going to have a few years where we're not launching anything because we've missed the gap for planning. Planetarily, exploring planets, we're gonna have a gap. So I think it's really important that we, we, we just talk about it now. Even if we're just talking about it, man, things will come up, ideals will come up, and we can make this work. So if you love space and science, man, like, like I know you do, Pay attention, because there's a lot of cool shit coming out in the next few years. Like, awesome. And if we can start getting humans back into space, I know people are going to be watching more. They're already watching now. I mean, like I said, like we've said before, the rover, Curiosity, alone by itself, has done so much, has so much popularity. I mean, just landing alone on Mars is, is one thing, and having all the footage and and the fact that it came down on a sky crane. Not the crazy shit we're doing. Finding evidence of water from black streaks that just appear on Mars because you hit it with light. And the stuff it absorbed just happened to be the same things that water is made out of. Like, what? What? You know, and then we've got these great movies that are coming out. Interstellar, Gravity. The Martian, that are getting everybody involved in it. it, doesn't get any better than this, guys. I mean, it does, but it gets a lot weirder if it does. <laughs> we start going into the deep space and start doing some real science fiction, it's going to get real weird. But weird is good, because this is science. <laughs> And that's it for this week, everybody. I hope I hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, like I said, go down to Pennsylvania. I don't know what that accent was, but yes, I'm going down to Pennsylvania. Uh, gonna have a great time. I hope everybody enjoys their weekend. Um, just enjoy yourselves, you know, like always. Keep doing you. And uh, don't forget to go shop at Amazon.com to help support the podcast. Um, just do your shopping as regular. And it costs you nothing. 
and Amazon just kicks me back a little bit of it. So all you got to do is click the link on this episode or on the homepage. And that's it. You can and help support us and future projects going on here. Uh, that's it, everybody. Spread love, spread science. Have a good week.